Here's an experiment for you. Take passionate experts in human resource technology. Invite cross-industry experts from inside and outside HR. Mix in what's happening in people analytics today. Give them the technology to connect. Hit record. Pour their discussions into a beaker. Mix thoroughly and voila! You get the HR Data Labs podcast, where we explore the impact of data and analytics to your business. We may get passionate and even irreverent, but count on each episode challenging and enhancing your understanding of the way people data can be used to solve real-world problems. Now, here's your host, David Turetsky. Hello and welcome to the HR Data Labs podcast. My name is David Turetsky. I'm your host. Today, I have a fascinating guest. Her name is Karen Bard-Fournier. She is the CEO of Vibrant Ventures. Hello, Karen. How are you today? Hey, how are you doing? Great I'm to great. Be here. Wonderful. So, by the way, Vibrant is spelled V-Y-B-R-A-N-T-E. That looks vibrante or vibrant. No, it's funny. I kind of got inspired from it when I was coming back from my first trip to Italy, but it is not meant to have an Italian uh, influence, although it feels kind of cool when I say it. It's actually, I have a intentionality with how I spelt it. So there's a premise for my organization that to unlock individual team and organizational vibrancy, you have to understand your why. You have to understand where you're going and why. And in the end, it's all about your E factor, about your energy, the frame that you then act through. And for those people who do not know Karen, she is energy in a bottle. If you've ever met her, she's a firecracker. Some have called her a superhero. She is a brilliant person who you can just feed off of her energy when she talks. I've known her for probably over 20 years when we worked in uh, financial services together way back when. Kindergarten. No, I'm not <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm sorry. You're right. 20 plus years. We're in kindergarten. You're right. No, I'm sorry. But she's worked at many innovative companies. And I, I also remember you worked at Marsha McLennan for a while as well, right? Yes. I was there, our global head of human capital strategy awards and analytics. There you go. And so she's the perfect person for having a conversation about HR data and analytics. But one thing that you may not have known about Carrion is that she is a classically trained actress and yes, she has worked in Broadway wrong. off sorry off Broadway and in the United Kingdom. Yes. So uh, I've I used to joke when I used many years ago I was an equity derivative structure and I used to say I could do it in iambic pentameter. <laughs> I uh, was never asked surprisingly but I have done compensation I joke uh, to pay or not to pay. That's there, the question. So. There you go. And we were not talking about hair there as well. No, no. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> So, Karen, our first topic today is one that we're going to actually probably talk many times, but the topic that we chose for the first session with you is setting up the HR function to be successful when you incorporate these three things into an analytics function. One is ensuring that the function has certain capabilities, that you're aligned on priorities, and that the function has a particular focus. Yep. So I, I really believe that it's the intersectionality of the capabilities and leaning into the strengths of not just the function, but the unique 
strengths of individuals in the function in order to really embrace and then use an analytics capability. Because analytics is really only there to serve the strategy and or risk mitigation for the HR function. And I think too often it gets caught up in there's numbers, there's pivot tables, there's reports, and it really distracts from this powerful tool that we have at our disposal these days. So our first question for Karen today is, and, and I've heard you say this about HR analytics, that it needs to be taught through a person's strengths, as you just mentioned. What do you mean by just the person's strengths? Sure. So first and foremost, when this really started coming to the forefront, gosh, it's well over 10 years now when I was at Marsh McLennan and we were lucky to also, we owned Mercer. So we had a lot of thought leaders sure. and I love that this was coming out. But one of the things we'd see often in whether it was HR executive magazine or other places is that all of a sudden the HR function, like they needed to be analytical. And many times when people go into HR, they're running away from the numbers, right? And I, I don't mean that in a silly way, but they are really wonderful at relationships and context and sort of the emotional intelligence part of a business, as well as law. I mean, listen, there's a lot of technical aspects to HR as well, but you know, the comfort and facility with numbers is not always a leading competency or capability with many traditional HR sure. folks. Sure. So when the function was being told all of a sudden, it needed to be in the future was diametrically opposed to why they got into the first place. It's kind of like an organ with the wrong blood type. Right. It's kind of not surprising that it was then just kind of rejected or it felt other than. And so when, when we really started to work on this and adoption, when I was particularly at Marsh McLennan, I mean, I helped even Mercer design some of their workshops is to say, listen, the point is having information in order to create insights. Right. And so lead from where if somebody, people are usually bucketed into two different types of ways they think their brain works. There are a few of us that are kind of span the, the two, but right. there are data oriented people, almost like if you think from the bottom up right. and then you dialogue people, those traditional HR folks who are great at context and emotional intelligence right. themes and things like that. So you can't train them or teach them the same way. Because what you're trying to do is actually manage to the middle for both. Right. There's two benefits to that, right? You get a more holistic way of using the information in more pow powerful ways. But even more importantly, it may sound tangentially, the function as a whole will be more cohesive because they can actually communicate and talk to one another. Right. And to be frank, respect the, the benefits that the other one brings to bear. Right. So, so for example, if somebody's a more traditional HR, they're a dialogue for a person. Trying to say, here's here's pivot tables, here are data metrics. It's the wrong way to start. You may get there. The better thing is, what are the conversations you're having with your leaders right now? Right. How could you, you're already good at what you do. How could you be even better if there was information led to bear that then you could say, you could sort of be more pinpoint and precise to say, how do you act? Where do you act? When do you act? What do you need to do? Right. And so it's, it's really putting that information in that context that then starts to open up and they can start then practicing it and using it and getting more comfortable in it. Similarly, the folks who are more the traditional data folks, oftentimes in compensation or HRIS or maybe sort of the ops role, 
you know, oftentimes they're great at the spreadsheets and the numbers and parsing of information, but then creating meaning from that or insights to that because they lack the context. So it's almost sort of training them like a mad lib version of what are the questions that you ask? I think right. too oftentimes people look at reports or data and they think it's meant to serve as an answer. Right. And I want to challenge that. It's about starting, the data should be the start of the really smart questions. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And so, and so when you train them from their unique strengths and then you bring them together, it, it just, it opens so much more up. So I'm a real fan of that approach. That's a really brilliant way of putting it. I like to think also of a people analytics function, not only being able to bridge those two gaps of, as you mentioned, the emotional as well as the data, but also having a business orientation as well. One of the things that HR gets probably too often targeted with is you don't understand my business. You don't know what's going on. And I remember, especially when I was a practitioner, I used to learn the business wherever I was so that when I went in to talk to a manager, I wasn't taken astray by them leading a question that I didn't understand the fundamental basics of. And so in what you were saying, you're able to ask better questions by both being able, both types of people being able to leverage the different aspects of who they are together to ask better questions. I also needed to understand the business side, not only understanding the two sides of the analytics side, but also understanding the business so I could ask better questions of the managers I was dealing with. Absolutely. And I think what's an important part about that is if you're being really consultative with the business, even right. if you've covered that kind of industry before, if you come in with answers, you're missing the point. Right. You should always be leading with those diagnostic questions to really right. get at what's going on. And to be frank, this is oddly where the coaching practice of my business comes in, helping them see things about their blind spots, what they right. don't know they don't know yet, right? Because right. oftentimes, where I find, you know, more traditional HR is they go running to answer the question or the request that was asked. And all the leader is using is the language and the concepts that they're familiar with. So for example, you know, as a comp professional for years, people give me a salary analysis. Right. And I'd have, you know, before I got there, people would run off and do all this stuff, come back and, and usually would take them a long time to get all the information together. And by then the person didn't remember what, why they asked. It was relevant. But when you really got to it, it wasn't a salary analysis. They were looking for competitive market benchmarking, which included bonuses, salaries. Maybe there was an overtime issue. Maybe there, there were so many other things going on. And people forget that the folks that we work with in the business who are the leaders, they don't do this all the time. Right. They're just going to use the language that they're comfortable with. My favorite language going back to a manager who asks me for a request is a three-letter word. Why? What? What are, what's the underlying problem that you're dealing with? Before we meet, let me get some more homework done. So tell me why you're asking this question. Maybe there are other things I can bring to bear before we meet to ask you more questions and exactly. not, to, not to make you mad, not to frustrate you, but to try and get you better answers instead of coming to you with things that you've asked for, but don't answer or solve the problem longer term. Yeah, exactly. A lot of times I'll say, how are you thinking about this? Right. What was the flag that like triggered the request? Right. Once again, the flag that triggered it really provides context. And so that's the sort of nuanced consultative skill right. um, that I think really helps. And, you know, interestingly enough, like you said, the business context, when I took the, when I was the head of workforce analytics for Marsha McLennan, I insisted when they offered that and they hadn't had that position before, that it was strategy 
and analytics. Right. Because analytics without the of service of to strategy, and of course we also do risk mitigation and whatnot, it's kind of like the so what. I go, if this is just a sexy sounding reporting function, I am right. wholly right. uninterested. I'm not interested. But if this is to really be part of that strategic framework, we have four separate operating companies, well over 100 countries, I go, we need it in that context. Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by Turetsky Consulting and listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the show. So that brings us to the next question, which I think is a really good follow on, which is, so how do you think HR should prioritize what it works on? Do you need to get reporting, especially HR reporting perfect before you can progress to the more advanced stuff? You know, it's, it's a great question. And I think it's an easy distraction because it just feels like busy work. And listen, I'm not going to say you shouldn't, people shouldn't have data quality, but there's sort of an ROI on effort when it comes to this stuff. And I'd say if you really want to get into accelerated impact on your workforce analytics, goes back to what we were just talking about, have the conversation with the business, where are they seeking to go? By the way, they don't even have to be talking about HR. I always say I'm a business person that translates that into the HR drivers, have a conversation of where they're going in the future, what are the concerns, what are the risks that they're concerned about, reverse engineer the conversation, what does this mean for our people, our current people are you know, recruiting, our talent, the whole thing, and then what information would we need to make better informed decisions or reduce risk? And so think about that and realize what would what would help us just more powerfully understand the internal dynamic and in market, the external market, right. and then and figure out what that formula is and then do a sort of an inventory. Well, what's the quality of the data? Right. Is it static data? How often does it get updated? Right. What's the quality of the data? And so let's say if 80 percent is really good and 20 percent is eh. What can you do to clean it up? How often would you need to clean it up, both manually and automated, to keep it good in order to make sort of an informed decision, right? right? And I think also, just like financial data in the markets, like nothing's ever perfect. You have to say, listen, we have an 85% certainty. This is directionally correct. Right. That's probably enough. Once again, it's not meant to be an answer. It's meant to start as a good question and right. sort of context. Right. That's good enough. It's good yeah. enough. And so so it's funny. Turnover is one of those examples, like to one end, right? So you'll see in a number like 10% turnover. Okay, to what end? So is this in the US? Is this in China? Is this millennials? Is this Gen Xers? So it's all about the context and then where you would apply it, depending on sort of the question that was being asked by the business. To me, the one thing that I think about when I think about this question is the job data because yes. it tends to be that understanding what people do, because you just mentioned, are they an intern? Are they a full-time? Are they part-time? How many hours do they work? Because we lose the context for what they do. Then we don't know what skills they have. We don't know whether they're in the right organization. We don't know what career pathing that they can take. And so when you start talking about an analysis about turnover and you dive into turnover and you look at what jobs are actually being lost, you may be making incredibly inappropriate decisions on where you're actually going to put dollars or compensation dollars or whatever. Right. And I love that you mentioned that, David, because oftentimes people think data analytics is numbers. 
a lot of times it's this job hierarchy, right? It's the getting the right building blocks, what I call the organizational blueprint, right. which is not the same thing as an organizational hierarchy. Right. It's right. a little bit similar, but what are these building blocks? What are these functions? What's individual contributor? What's manager? What is sort of general levels? And once again, broadbanding from an organizational design and career pathing perspective so that you can do some sort of insightful analysis. Right. So yeah, absolutely. That's so foundational. So question three, so where should HR focus its time to start when it comes to HR analytics? So I think it's that intersectionality of capabilities and priorities, right? So I think adoption is key and everyone is sort of in a different place of maturity as far as the leadership and whether they're really going to champion this or not. So if it's okay, you know what, listen, ideally it would be nice to have it at the very top and this is something they want to sort of waterfall down the entire organization. But if it's not there, it's okay. I was just having this conversation recently on, with someone and I said, listen, oftentimes you find a leader in a division in a pocket of the organization that just gets it. Particularly if you're new, pilot it with them. You know, once again, this is more of a scientific process where you're you're refining your approach, you're practicing, especially if this new skill set, you're practicing your skill set, you're thinking about the change management elements of this. So, you know, find those business champions as well as the HR leader together. I mean, ideally together, even if they're new to this journey, they're willing to embrace it and be on that sort of exploratory journey on this. And so when that's sort of your foundation. That's like your foundational like cement, because it's really important if this is new or you're going to feel like you're spinning your wheels. Then on top of that, address those sort of business priorities. What are they literally working on? And then going back to what you just said, are there sort of foundational stuff that should be re-looked at within that org to just get cleaned up so your insights could be more impactful. But I, honestly, that's that for me is the, the best way to kind of get this effort sort of accelerated and also adopted. Yeah, I promise you the moment you take it to managers, especially your boss, and you show them data that is coming out of a brand new HR analytics function, and they look at it and they start looking at the context for what they know about the business. And they start picking apart the structures and the hierarchies, like you just mentioned, which if it doesn't make sense to them and it can't pass the sniff test or the smell test, then they're automatically going to reject the analysis and potentially exactly. reject the function. Exactly. It's that even if it's sort of right. like, you know, a little bit broad based, but, you know, once again, you're testing the hypothesis, you don't need to necessarily change all of your data. You know, you can see it and then, okay, wow, this really worked. This really helps. Right. Now let's sort of iterative the next side. And you're hoping in those iterations that you show progress to those people you've deemed your champions and then they can see and you can help share a vision for how it then impacts their business results. And exactly. they make those points and put those points together in their mind and say, wow, these now become the foundation for how I'm going to make decisions in the future then they start selling them to their colleagues because frankly, how can we not use these things to our advantage when we're making decisions? 
Exactly. And listen, you know what? There's oftentimes that 10 to 20% that just aren't willing to adopt. It's just, you spend so much energy trying to convince, ignore them. Yeah. I mean, unless there's somebody so important, seriously, right. go where the well is full, you know, or at least, you know, you can kind of get a bucket because I've yeah. oftentimes I've seen them trying to convince everyone and there's just, yeah, you can really exhaust yourself and spin your wheels if you're trying to convert and convince every single person. Yeah, you're right. There are those people in the room who you'll never convince who will say this HR stuff you've created. That's great, but I'm not going to use it. You you can't address them. You have to put them to the side. Organizational culture, right? So yeah. what is the leadership culture? Do they want informed fact-based decisions? Because by then it's not really a workforce analytics issue anymore. It's a leadership issue and it's a cultural issue. And that's, you know, at a different, that's a different conversation to be had. So well, let me ask you a different question, though, because what we're hoping is not just workforce or HR analytics. We're hoping actually these people adopt them as business analytics. Oh, absolutely. And they see them as a tool that they're actually using on their computer or in their back pocket every day to help them make a better decision. Absolutely. You know, that's why, you know, HR analytics, it's information about the business. It's and and information to once again, I'm going to reiterate it so many times, start, you know, with the really good questions. Exactly. So, Karen, we've talked about three things around this being able to start this HR analytics function. We've talked about capabilities and how you can leverage those people who are both the data people who get statistics and analytics, and you can get the people who are traditional HR people who get the emotional intelligence and get the, the real people part of it, and to leverage those together to be able to help teach each one how to be able to leverage all of their skills. We talked about priorities, about how you can actually get started from reporting, but you can start building from there and build iteratively. And then we talked about focus and where should we start focusing as we're starting to build this HR analytics function. And we talked about being able to find champions in the business to help us be able to identify what are the major priorities and be able to, again, incrementally move them forward. What else would you like to highlight from what we talked about as a summary? You know what? I think for those going on this journey, I think journey is the operative word. Definitely. Right. So first of all, give yourself grace and others right. because it's it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but it should be fun too. like, let's not, I know not to totally nerd out your analytics. You is fun. It's fun because once again, what's, what's more fun than having really cool conversations with the business to help them right. innovate or be disruptive, or if something's really difficult going around, help them make difficult decisions in a sort of a wise way. And so, you know, when things invariably get off kilter, because they will for innumerable reasons, we get energized when we understand the why, the why we do this, right? I'll go back to Vibrant. And the why we do HR analytics is to be that really consultative business partner. And so just remember that when you just want to knock your head against a wall. And we all have been there, but that's okay. I love the examples uh, that I had in my 
time in the practitioner world when I was in compensation and I was working with a CFO and we were talking about headcount. Oh God, and yeah, time. We, <laughs> and I think it was actually at the exact same time we were working together. Yes. And you would go to the CFO and you'd say, here's my headcount. And they'd say, no, it isn't. You're wrong. And, yeah, wrong. you're wrong. Your analysis is wrong. And they, they would completely- and you're not people. And then they point fingers usually and say, HR people, you don't know numbers. Right, exactly. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and at the, at, at the basis of it all is we were counting different things. Yeah. They cared about from an economics perspective, if there were like, like job shares. And so somebody was like a half a person, but you yeah. know what? In HR, there's a human body. We count physical beings, sentient beings. So yes, <laughs> it was very funny. So yes, it's like, yes, we're both right. But I remember the finger wagging. I think we're thinking of the same CFO. I, I think we are. And one of the funny things about this, and, I, and, I, and it's somewhat tragic, actually, is this is the reason why HR gets mitigated. Absolutely. And not to try and point fingers at HR, because we shouldn't be, but we don't stand up for ourselves enough and say, hey, listen, our numbers are right. Your number's right, too. And that right. can exist. It actually can exist in this world. And it where, should, right? And it and should, right. Good. Absolutely. And I think, listen, part of it is, is then, you know, not to, you know, go even further on the nerd train, but like who owns the data and what system was it in? Because right. back when we were having that conversation, they didn't have as good HRIS data. Right. I mean, I remember having to do headcount going out on a trading floor and trying to count bodies and that's what I did. in the bathroom, right? right? Yeah. Because there just wasn't a really good system of record. And so finance for their budgeting perspective at the time had a better handle on the data. So, so the good news is I think just from a systems perspective for most organizations, a lot of that data integrity that we really struggled with a while ago, although certainly there's always issues, I think some of the foundational fundamental issues hopefully are, are a thing of the past. It, it is. And again, not to geek out, you're, you're absolutely right, but it comes back down to don't question your capabilities. When things like that happen, don't question yourself. Stand yeah. on your two feet. And be able to react like a good consultant and say, you know, this is why. And list the assumptions and, and say, you know, we'll show you the detail behind it. And, and at the end of the day, when I like to help or when I help people, it's not necessarily by being able to set up a system that's correct. It's by giving them the confidence to be able to speak to leaders exactly. about what they're presenting. Exactly. So, Karen, thank you so much. You're a delightful guest, and I really appreciate it. I am bringing you back again. I will be. Thank you. For thank more you. conversations. My pleasure. Thank you, David, for having me. And thank you very much for our listeners. We really appreciate you. Please stay tuned for our next episode. And thank you, and please stay safe. That was HR Data Labs. Please visit TuretskyConsulting.com forward slash podcast to review the show add comments about this episode, or add new ideas about upcoming shows you'd like to hear. Feel free to be creative, but please be nice. Thank you for joining us this week on the HR Data Labs podcast, and stay tuned for our next episode. Stay safe.